You are listening to Life, the Universe, and Everything Else. Today on the show, we put some labels on your labels so you can label while you label. Life, the Universe, and Everything Else is a program promoting secular humanism and scientific skepticism, produced by the Winnipeg Skeptics. You can email your questions, comments, or criticisms to us at podcast at winnipegskeptics.com. Show notes, references, and relevant links for all episodes can be found at lueepodcast.wordpress.com or at winnipegskeptics.com slash blog. I'm Ashley Noble, and I'll be your host today. Uh, with me tonight, I have Lauren Bailey. Hi. Jim Newman. Hello. Ian James. Yo. And Laura Creek Newman. Hi there. Full house tonight. Yeah, we got a five-person panel. We haven't done that in a long time, so... It's just going to be a jumbled everybody. mess of all of us talking over one another. Yeah, it should be good. Yeah, it's going to be great. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, we're talking about labels today. Uh, labels are a controversial subject, one with a lot of different angles, and we're only going to be able to explore a few of them tonight, so let's get started. Uh, label is an identifier. This container has milk, and this other one has motor oil. Uh, it can be important. <laughs> this person is a cat person. That one is a dog person. Maybe less important. Uh, we apply thousands of labels to people and objects every day because it allows us to process information a lot faster than if we had to devote brain power to figuring out what each new thing was independently. Uh, I'd like to start with some quotes about labels from a wide range of books to illustrate some of the opinions that are out there regarding different types of labels. And we'll have all of the sources in the show notes. I read in a book once that a rose by any other name would smell as sweet, but I've never been able to believe it. I don't believe a rose would be as nice if it was called a thistle or a skunk cabbage. <laughs> Stink blossom. <laughs> Whoever thought a tiny candy bar should be called fun size was a moron. <laughs> as long as people are going to call you lunatic anyway, why not get the benefit of it? It liberates you from convention. That's just the first part. What others call you, you become. It's a terrible magic that everyone can do, so do it. Call yourself what you wish to become. I've always been taught to be a proud of being Latina, proud of being Mexican, and I was. I was probably more proud of being a label than of being a human being. That's the way most of us were taught. Putting labels on others creates a black hole of disregard where judgment thrives and schisms deepen. And finally, definitions only belong to those who need them. So we humans like to categorize things and break life up into manageable chunks so we can analyze things. Uh, the NPR podcast Invisibilia did a really interesting show on this last year, which you can find online and we'll link to it. They made a case for one of the very first things that we do when a baby is born is categorize them. So we ask, you know, is it a boy or is it a girl? Uh, we know that gender and sex aren't as simple as that. It exists on a spectrum and not a binary system. But we still pretty much divide every newborn into one of two categories. We give them a label. And we know that which label we give them will have a huge impact on how their life plays out, whether we like it or not, and especially whether or not they conform to that label or break out of it and choose their own path. From the time that we become aware of our surroundings, we group people together based on our observations of them, whether they know it or not, and whether they would choose those terms for themselves. So things like stranger or family, liberal or conservative, flaky, clever, whatever trait sticks out in our minds, that's how we will label people. And others put labels on us, uh, but we choose our own labels too. So some of mine are things like atheist, skeptic, queer, polyamorous, feminist, geek. These are all things that I'm proud to be, and I'm not the type of person who hates all labels and refuses to associate with any of them. Uh, and I'm sure others have less flattering labels for me that I wouldn't be so proud of, but such is life. 
so I thought we would begin the panel portion of our show by having Jem talk about some of the labels that most of us at the table and many of our listeners apply to ourselves. Sure. So uh, I'd like to actually start by going around and doing something that Ashlyn just did for us. <laughs> uh, so um, Ashlyn, I may ask you to repeat yourself mm -hmm. just to keep things consistent. But I'd like each of us to come up with at least three labels that we would would or typically do use to describe ourselves to other people. So imagine, you know, you're meeting somebody for the first time or something and you're like, uh, and you want to tell them about yourself really quickly. What are some labels that you might actually use? The, the uh, three traits you have on OkCupid in your profile? <laughs> I, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> yes. Hey, so. What is on your OkCupid profile? <laughs> I just, I'm just in it for the analytics. Uh, so uh, why don't we start with uh, with Ian? How do you, how would you label yourself, Ian? Jesus. So, so we're talking. That's a label. Like, <laughs> Jesus. I am Jesus. So, like three single words or brief phrases or something that you might use to describe yourself to somebody else. Uh, I would say skeptic is a big one. You know, or you know, science lover. I don't have any problems with atheist. I often say atheist, though I'm trying to branch. Actually, from this podcast, I'm actually trying to sort of branch out from just saying uh, atheist and say skeptic, which kind of encompasses or can encompass atheism as well. And it's better grammar. Yes, <laughs> uh, I am atheism, <laughs> and I would say musician, mm -hmm. and I would say pro wrestling fan. <laughs> okay, uh, Lauren. I don't know. Um, probably a technical communicator. Are we just describing our jobs? Here? Yeah, because I'm going to do that too. <laughs> well, well, it's a big part. Job is a label too. Right? Yeah, it's a big part of who I am. Absolutely, people for sure. describe yeah. themselves almost first when when you ask them how they. If you were to ask that question to a lot of people, Jim, they might first say, "Oh, plumber," you know, or whatever, because that defines who mm -hmm. they are, and whether it, whether or not it should or it shouldn't is another question. And if I say writer. People go, oh, have you published? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. We're all writers. I can write. See? Uh, my pen, I'm writing. Uh. Your air pen. <laughs> I was miming, and then I had to say the word pen, because the podcast can't see my hand miming the pen. Carry this on. This was one I'm of those sorry. tangents we weren't going to get into, remember? <laughs> sorry. I'm my sorry. Fault. So, go. technical communicator. Partner. Charming? No. <laughs> I have never used that word to describe myself. <laughs> it's like the anti-Lauren. It would probably be better to ask Ashlyn how to describe me. What label she'd put on me. Uh-uh. <laughs> I'm not driving home, so... Oh, yeah, we have at least two. That's fine. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'll just repeat the ones that I used. Uh, atheist, skeptic, queer, polyamorous, feminist, geek. All things that I am proud to be. You bite the heads off of chickens? It's the original term for geek. I don't care. I'm using it in <laughs> the way that normal people use it right now. I shouldn't say normal because none of us are normal. <laughs> <laughs> Laura? This is really hard. I don't generally use labels for myself. I use descriptors more so. Um, so I'm going to jump on that trend of using my profession as a descriptor. Uh, I am a dietitian, and that's, now that I think about it, that's a label that comes with a lot 
Uh, even yesterday I was at a presentation and, oh, here's the dietician. Better hide the donuts. Or, oh, you're the dietician? Oh, of course you are. Look at you. Or, oh, look, the dietician's eating that, that all the time. Oh, I could get man. into a whole thing. If you're a dietician, <laughs> you can't be skinny because then, oh, well, you don't need to see it. Like, why should I follow your ad advice? And you can't be a bigger... Like. You don't know what it's like. And you can't be a big person. Well, then you're a hypocrite because clearly you don't follow your own advice. And oh, you can't man. ever eat a chocolate bar because, well, if the dietitian does it, then I can clearly do it all the time. And you can't eat a salad because, well, like, you've never tasted real food. So now that I think about it... Twizzlet? Clara <laughs> has a lot of feelings about being labeled a dietitian. <laughs> but don't call her a nutritionist. No. That is true. I am not a nutritionist. I am a dietitian. We'll and I'm proud... That. We'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I am proud to be a dietitian, but... Okay, this turned into a really long thing, but now that I think about it, that is a label that I do use, mm -hmm. and it carries a lot with it. So that's what I would do. Um, I'd also say that I'm a skeptic and a mostly vegetarian. I really <laughs> like that label for myself. <laughs> oh, I forgot that one. I'm also a vegan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. Yeah. Are you your kid's mom? Yeah, I'm a mom. <laughs> that too. How many, especially women, will... That's the first thing they think of as a descriptor is, I'm a mom. Yeah. Yeah. I was doing the Dr. Laura line. I'm my kid's mom. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I, uh, when I started my blog, I put an about page on there, and I made sure that the first thing that I wrote about myself was not, I am a mom. I wrote, I am a dietitian, and mm -hmm. I wrote a few other things. And then somewhere down the list, there was mother in there, so. Not, not as important. <laughs> I got kids. Whatever. Whatever. She's okay. She's fine. What are Jem's labels? Uh, oh, so, so I typically lead with skeptic or with software developer, depending on you know what context, context I'm in, uh, and I'm also a father, and that's an important part of of my identity. But it's not something that I think of labeling myself a lot. And when I was putting together this list, I was actually thinking about, I wonder if Laura will mention mom, and. I felt like I should mention father because it is an important part of my, you know, every day of my life, but it, it really doesn't feel as much like, um, a label that I would, would call myself, that I would stick on myself all the time, uh, especially in other contexts that are not parenting related, mm -hmm. uh, which is weird because I know, as we were talking about, that for, for a lot of mothers, it's very different. Yeah. So I would like to actually go back around and just uh, talk about a couple of things that were mentioned. So Ian, you mentioned that you're trying to use skeptic more rather than just saying you're an atheist. Why? It's <laughs> uh, the grammar thing, you right? Can't, you can't see this <laughs> podcast listeners, but Jim went, why? And then put his put his chin on his head and looked at me. Why? It's very entertaining. Um, well, I sort of touched on it a little bit. I think skeptic is more. <clears throat> it can mean more. It has you know, atheist is obviously one only one um, one issue or one well, lack of belief, but one, it only deals with one thing. Right. Where skeptic, though you can call yourself a skeptic and still believe in God and blah blah blah, but for the most part, I would say skeptic would encompass everything that, that you, one can be skeptical of, whether it's pseudoscience or 
cryptozoology or global warming. I guess, yeah, I mean, skeptic can kind of be used both ways, too. Yeah. Um, but I think the general, if I say skeptic, I think most people know what I'm talking about, and then we can further break it down from there. So I think, it, to answer your question, I think it tells more of a story, or opens up more opportunities to have a conversation than just to say atheist. But I have no problem saying atheist either. I don't have any problem whatsoever just being like, oh, I'm an atheist, absolutely. Because right. you could also face the other problem where if you say you're an atheist to the quote-unquote wrong person, you may end that relationship instantly. <laughs> right. Like if you were on a date, oh, you know, what, how would you describe yourself? Atheist? <laughs> you may get a somewhat sour look from the lady wearing the huge crucifix on her neck. <laughs> which wasn't in her profile picture, I might add. <laughs> Does that answer your question? It does. So, uh, Lauren, you said vegan. Mm-hmm. Why, why vegan and not vegetarian? Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't you don't have to get into the argument as to no. as to why you choose to be vegan rather than a lacto ovo yeah. or pescatarian. The actual interesting thing, now that I'm thinking of it, I tend to qualify it with saying I'm not one of those vegans. Yeah. <laughs> I I did that with vegetarian. You know, I'm not an evangelical vegetarian. Yeah. I, I did that for a while, and then I realized I was being an asshole when I did that. Yeah, I, I usually <laughs> say I'm an adult vegan. I cook a damn good steak. I just won't eat it, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't preach about it. Interesting. Yes, you should come over when we next you know advertise we're having yeah. barbecue. Well, steak any <laughs> day of the week. Yeah. <laughs> but it's basically just who I am, and I have I call myself a Winnipeg vegan sometimes because I'm not too concerned if the margarine's vegan. And sometimes I'll eat some of Ashlyn's baking, despite knowing what's in it, because <laughs> butter tarts. Uh, <laughs> butter tarts. That's all you need to say. <laughs> the vegan and the, the sometimes vegetarian dietitian. Are... Well, and we get a lot of like, oh, well, how do you deal with that? Because, you know, you guys eat meat, right? And we're like, uh, we eat what we want to eat. Yeah. <laughs> I make an amazing Thai tofu stir fry with peanuts, and they have... Chicken fingers. Chicken fingers. <laughs> <laughs> and my udon and peanut butter and other sorts of delicious spicy things. Yeah. Although great. it is interesting that sometimes uh, her labels tend to bleed over, especially not so much to Dave, but to mm. me. Uh, people in the last year or two have started to assume that I am vegan because they know that she is. So that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think, but I think that's kind of fair a lot of times, right? Yeah. She doesn't eat tofu. Yeah, and I, uh, I, I'm also a vegetarian. I'm not vegan. I feel like I, you know, should be, but uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm a level five vegan. Yeah. I don't eat anything with a shadow. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm lacto ovo, uh, and but I, it's not part of my core identity. It's just mm-hmm. how I eat, and, I, and it honestly never occurred to me to put that as as one of those labels. Sure. Um, Ashlyn, what's my question? You mentioned feminist. Uh huh. Why not an equalist or an egalitarian? Because that is a bullshit term. (laughs) Um, I am a feminist because feminism encompasses reaching for equality for all genders, and it's a movement that's been going on for a long time, and there's probably many horrible things that have been done in the name of feminism, but equalism is a term... (laughs) You're a fourth wave feminist. Uh, There... Equalism is a term that was taken by people who are like the uh, current men's rights activists to be like, but what about the men's? And it's not about the men. <laughs> yeah, did you hear that uh, cafe in uh, uh, Ontario is going to be marching at uh, Pride? No. Cafe is uh, one of those uh, 
equalism. Oh no, I, I don't know anything yeah. about them. Yeah, well, one of my friends in Ontario uh, is uh, is on top of oh, that. Oh dear. And, yeah. <laughs> so Laura, uh, you obviously are a dietitian. Why don't you call yourself a nutritionist? <laughs> Because she has a degree. <laughs> <laughs> because Twizzlers And it's not can. in baloney. <laughs> um, yeah, I call myself a dietitian because that is a protected term. I went to school for that. I wrote an exam for it. I pay a, a licensing fee every year to the college. Um, and so I'm allowed to use that term. That term means that the person giving you nutritional advice had done all of those things and can be held accountable if something that they told you hurts you in any way or is just flat out wrong mm -hmm. and they're, they can't, they didn't fix that mistake. A nutritionist is not a protected term in most places. There are certain cases where qualified people are called nutritionists, um, but that varies from, from state to state and province to province and that. But by and large, anybody can call themselves a nutritionist. Sometimes they've gone to some kind of course or another. Those are not generally accredited courses. Um, sometimes they haven't at all and just decided that they know what nutrition is and how everybody should eat and that they can now dispense nutrition I eat advice every day, to people. So I know all about nutrition. Exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. I drive my car, so I'm a mechanic, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, so that's why I make a point of saying that I'm a dietitian. So that's interesting, and obviously I agree with you, and I, I don't describe you as a nutritionist ever, <laughs> even to people who don't know what dietitian means. Now, when you describe yourself as a dietitian, do you think that the, that the fine distinctions, and this goes for everybody, for all of the answers that we, that we gave, do you think that the fine distinctions are lost on people sometimes? Absolutely, every day. So what do we have a responsibility to jump in there and uh, educate them all the time? Or is this just something that we just let slide? Depends on context. Yeah. Yeah. It gets so tiring to have there to explain actually, everything. There was actually a guy last week. Um, we had our, our Winnipeg Skeptics board meeting. Um, and uh, after folks left, uh, Dave and I were outside watering the lawn. And some guy walked up with like a six pack of beer and he was like, I'm so sorry. I keep RSVPing these, these things and not showing, you know, and I just wanted to bring you some beer. And I was like, <laughs> okay, that's great. Like you should come to a meeting sometime, but this one's kind of over. And, uh, and we got to talking and he was, he very much wanted to know, like, so you call yourself the skeptics, you know, what does that mean to you? And so mm -hmm. I sort of described our, um, our mission statement and so forth and and he was you know okay so you're not those skeptics who you know don't believe that the holocaust happened or you know <laughs> yeah. don't believe in global warming and stuff like this and i was like you know no no we we more like to talk about ways to think and you know how to get to conclusions that are rational and you know scientifically based and you know i'm very much on board with the holocaust happened <laughs> <laughs> not the fact that <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. believe it occurred. I Got believe that the Holocaust it. happened. Let's make yeah. sure, yeah, yeah. It's like a run for cancer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yes. But so a yeah, run for mean, cancer. Even you know, if people are coming to our meetup site and finding out this stuff and having questions, but yeah, those are times when you have to go in and explain. But yeah. you know, most of the time, if people don't look at you like, uh, then you can just sort of let it slide and keep going. Right. 
So I, I personally describe myself as a skeptic first, and there are a couple of uh, labels that... Can I interrupt you for one second, Jim? I'm yeah. sorry, just because it's pertinent. I think I call myself a skeptic also because of you. Hmm. I think that you're... Aww. And I mean this... No, yeah, no, seriously, <laughs> I mean this as a compliment, is that I think you're... Because I was definitely the atheist, you know, sort of in like high school and even the first couple of years that I lived here. Right. And then the first couple of years, even when I was friends with you, but I think that skeptic is something a term that I got from you more so, and I prefer it. So I just want to make sure you knew that before you carry on. Oh, well, I don't yeah, know if that changes yeah, what yeah. you were about to say. <laughs> no, like uh, I, I do describe myself as a skeptic first because uh, it is a, for me, as Ashton was just talking about, it's more about the method than the specific conclusion. There are conclusions like everyone deserves equal rights sure. um, uh, that are very important to me. But as as far as you know, skepticism, atheism, you know, free thought, like that. As far as all of that goes, the most important thing in that realm is the the method, not whatever happens to be what is settled on here. Um, so while I also am an atheist, I describe myself as a as a skeptic. Weirdly, for for many years, this is this uh, was a little bugaboo for me, and I felt a little uh, a little uncomfortable whenever we talk about it. I av avoid describing myself as a humanist, and now it's mostly just habit. Uh, I mean, I meet all of the criteria of a secular humanist, um, but I don't self-describe that way. And for a long time, I think that uh, it was because it seemed more like a religion. I mean, it's, n it's not a religion, but it's because there are tenets uh, of secular humanism all of which are good. <laughs> Is it like more of a conclusion than a belief system that you well, yeah, turn like away it, from? Yeah, it just made me a little bit uncomfortable uh, because there there are uh, there's there's baggage associated with it, and I wanted to avoid like labels that had that sort of baggage associated with it. But of course, all of these labels have baggage. Right? Uh -huh. That's well, why the word whether... agnostic was invented. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the atheist had too much baggage. And and like Lauren mentioned, uh, despite the fact that I've been writing short stories since junior high, and I've been blogging since 2009, and I'm 71,000 words into the first draft of a novel, I don't call myself a writer either. I sometimes do think of myself as a writer, and writing is something that I do and it's really important to me and thinking about the way stories are constructed is really important to me uh, what about like writer versus author well yeah How and I think about those? I think that that is a fair distinction to make but I think that is author there? should still authors get paid <laughs> is that the distinction right. to me well, but I think that authors should still serious, apply because like, what, you, the... you, you would still I think I think that that's basically the distinction that's oh. typically yeah. okay. made but um, I think that you you know if you're still the author of you know, your blog sure, if you write yeah. a blog and you don't get paid for it you're you the know, author you're... of your dreams <laughs> right but not me somebody else wrote mine people do you're have married. certain expectations about what a writer is or what an author is and so I don't describe myself that way just because I don't need to get into that conversation sure oh have you written anything I would have read well no. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you broke it into my home and read yeah. read my draft zero, in which case Do you read obscure that would be flattering. Yeah. <laughs> Creepy. So let's talk about uh, some of the labels that we use, sort of as a community, rather than just the ones that we use ourselves. 
so we have uh, a lot of different labels in the skeptosphere. You know, we have atheist, agnostic, non-theist, freethinker, skeptic, humanist, any others that you can think of? Bright. Oh, yeah, right. I forgot about that. I think I still have an embarrassing sweatshirt somewhere that says bright. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, somebody brought up to me the other day, well, isn't Richard Dawkins like the Pope? Well, that whole sentence makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just move on. He's kind of like the Pope in that he's kind of an asshole. Right. That's what you're going <laughs> for. In As in, I don't believe anything he says. Yeah. <laughs> he's an old white dude, if that's what you're saying. Yeah. Which all the Popes are. Yeah. Uh, Elected I, with a puff of smoke? So, uh, so we have uh, lots of different terms, and they all have sort of distinct but overlapping um, meanings. So I wanted to concentrate on a couple of them, specifically skeptic, atheist, and agnostic, and talk about what they mean and the various things that they mean. Because one of the things that I'm sure we'll cover throughout this show is that labels don't just mean one thing. Mm -hmm. They change over time and they change from person to person. So uh, atheism uh, comes from... Uh, Greek originally, from ateos, uh, which just means without gods. It was used as a pejorative term for those who rejected the gods worshipped by society at large. Um, so it was widely reported, as you probably know, that uh, the Romans accused Christians of being atheists. After all, they worshipped many fewer deities than the Romans, and their god wasn't the right one anyway. <laughs> it wasn't until the 18th century, actually, that identifiable groups... Uh, of people started uh, self-describing as atheists. Okay. Like, it was kind of like um, heathen. It was like a pejorative term. Yeah, right. You wouldn't that. choose that for yourself. But, Do you know, Jem, what the like distinction pre-1800s, I guess, between heathen and atheist would have been? Or were they both just sort of insults that you threw at people? Um, th that is the impression. Because heathen is more pagan, right? You'd be heathen if you were pagan. Um, I hear the word heathen, and that seems to describe not only a, a non-belief in a god, but also a lifestyle that you're, you know, you're also a bad person. Whereas I would say atheism, while some people would believe that that also makes you a bad person, I think that has more of a... But I think that's solid... more like of a modern thing. Certainly, yeah. certainly so, absolutely. But, you know, heathen would be... If you call someone a heathen today, it would have that connotation of, like, they're a, they're a womanizing... Drunkard. Right. I call myself a heathen all the time. Yeah, well, but I'm a womanizing drunkard. <laughs> so, checkmate. He, heathen definitely does have the the connotation of somebody who's uncultured or uncouth in some way. Mm -hmm. But from a technical perspective, and when it's uh, when you're talking historically, it uh, meant somebody who was who did not worship the Abrahamic God. So, if you were not Muslim, Christian, or Jew then you are a heathen. Okay. So that's where hmm. I sort of get the pagan yeah. association. Um, and so pagan can mean a couple of different things depending <laughs> on the historical context, obviously, as well. <laughs> but one of, the, one of the traditional connotations is, as it's used now, is simply non-Christian non or non-Abrahamic as well. Hmm. Um, now you have... Um, uh, you have words like... Um, uh, in in Islam, you know, you can call somebody uh, kafir, uh, which means like an infidel or a non-believer. Uh, it is also an uh, an ethnic slur. 
uh, especially. Yeah, uh, no, and we, that's we, right. We take the word off the limes now. Yeah, and that, and that's why you, you may see that that you know those lime leaves are not being labeled that way as often anymore. Um, but you know that is somebody who is non-Muslim, but it's uh, a very insulting way sure. to to call them non-Muslim. You know, as an, uh, they're an infidel. So uh, atheism came from just without gods, and it originally meant somebody who essentially worships the wrong gods or doesn't worship our gods. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and that's changed a little bit now, and I'll get into the, the new definitions, but uh, first, uh, agnosticism uh, is a term, as we learned in our pub quiz uh, the other month, uh, is a term originally coined by Darwin's bulldog, T.H. Huxley, uh, who... Um, I wasn't at the pub quiz. I knew this yeah, yeah. Well, nobody, nobody. I got was there, answer. and I had no idea. Yeah, I was, I was disappointed. What was, the question? Right, the, what was the question? So, uh, uh, it, was, <laughs> it was something like the uh, term? this yeah, uh, name of the person. Huxley, yeah. Huxley, uh, yeah. This man, also known as Dar this uh, biologist, also known as Darwin's bulldog, originally coined the term agnostic yeah. in eighteen. And I, and he was a grandpa. <laughs> I've had that question like on exams, and I've never been able to solidify it in my mind for some reason. That's, that's funny. Yeah, Thomas Henry Huxley. Um, although, like, he did coin the term agnostic, and he was mm -hmm. called the great agnostic, but he, it was a perspective that he actually sort of shared with earlier thinkers. He, he just came up with that term. So agnosticism um, basically means, like, a lack of knowledge when you get etymologically, when you break it down. And it is the view that we do not and ultimately perhaps cannot know whether certain types of claims are true. So it's most often claims of the existence of gods or the supernatural. However, when he talked about agnosticism, Huxley described it in a very interesting way that is probably going to be familiar to a lot of people. He said, quote, Agnosticism, in fact, is not a creed, but a method, the essence of which lies in the rigorous application of a single principle. Positively, the principle may be expressed in matters of the intellect. Follow your reason as far as it will take you without regard to any other consideration. And negatively, in matters of the intellect, do not pretend that conclusions are certain which are not demonstrated or demonstrable. So what does that sound like to you? Scientific Skip. method? Yeah, it sounds like the mm -hmm. scientific method or scientific skepticism. Mm -hmm. So that's very close to the modern definition of skepticism that we use now. Skepticism originally, though, was essentially the idea that nothing can be known for certain. That you don't know anything. Uh, you know, both our senses and our capacity for reason are fallible and indeed easily fooled, muddied by our desires and preconceptions, you know, all that good stuff. Now, all of that's true, but modern scientific skepticism is arguably less radical. You know, still, we admit we can probably never know anything for certain, and that all conclusions are provisional, but most people are comfortable saying, yeah, we can know some stuff. Mm -hmm. you know, we can know some axioms like A equals A. Um, and we can also know, to all intents and purposes, that Australia exists, for example. <laughs> we don't have to apply radical skepticism to the claim that Australia exists just because we've never been there. Um, because it is, in principle, verifiable. Uh, we have it on you know, fairly good evidence from a documentary perspective, and the idea that Australia doesn't exist, and that it is indeed a hoax, is a far more unbelievable claim. Then where are my cousins? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've got bad news for you. But I've met them. <laughs> Actors. Yeah. <laughs> They're your, from Townsville. <laughs> your, your cousins are an inside job. Well, there was that movie 
or it was a, you know, how to turn someone into a into a, a believer in 50 seconds about the kid who stands up in the middle of his class at university and says, well, professor, if you, you know, if you, how do you, how do we know the professor has a brain if he's never seen it or whatever? You know that. Yeah, yeah, one of those chain letter things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that's the one. Yeah. Well, it's like, well, I suppose you could cut your own head open and get a mirror and probably look up and see that you have a brain if you really yeah. doubted it. Well, you don't know for certain, but like claims of absolute certain knowledge are ridiculous. You well, know, like Carl Sagan's, you know, the invisible dragon in your garage. Yeah. You know, eventually you have to <laughs> accept some form of evidence. Right, and it's based on the claim as well. The fact that we know brains exist. And you could see one in another human, stands to reason that you probably have one yourself. But if you say that you have a little hamster floating around in there, well, you know, you're going to need more evidence than just... What the brain hamsters could make the anxiety happen. Ah, yes. The old brain hamster, Jim. So the definitions that I like to use for atheism and agnosticism are a much more modern formulation. But to me, they seem to fit really well together and are very specific and descriptive. So um, you can think of it like like you have political axes. You know, you have um, your axis of economic um, conservatism versus progressive uh, liberalism, and your social conservatism versus liberalism. And you can sort of plot that. Likewise, you can imagine two, a two-axis system where you have atheism to one side, theism to the other, and you have agnosticism at the top and maybe Gnosticism at the bottom. So atheism and theism are uh, opposites. Mm -hmm. uh, one denotes a lack of belief in a god, and one denotes a belief in the existence of god or gods. Likewise, you have agnosticism and Gnosticism, which are also um, a paired. They're antonyms. So agnosticism is lack of knowledge, and Gnosticism is uh, positive claims to know something. <laughs> so it would be like three quarters up the agnosticism track and like 100% over on the atheist track. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the way it is commonly described, you can then have an agnostic atheist, which mm -hmm. is how I describe myself, generally speaking. So somebody who does not believe in any gods, but somebody who also doesn't claim to know for sure. You could have a Gnostic atheist, somebody who doesn't believe in any gods and is damn sure about them. <laughs> uh, so that would be uh, what's traditionally called hard atheism, mm -hmm. uh, or positive atheism, where you're asserting that no gods exist. And Often found on the it. internet. <laughs> yeah. uh, then you have um, agnostic theism, where you believe that gods exist, but you're not sure, and you admit that you, you can't know for sure. And then you have uh, your Gnostic theism, which uh, would be... Uh, your you, evangelical you, Christian. Yeah, right. You know, you believe God exists, but you know God exists, mm -hmm. because you, you have a it. personal relationship, or whatever. Now, before we start getting uh, angry emails... The term Gnostic with a capital G itself has additional specific baggage yeah. associated with it. Uh, but in the more general lowercase g Gnostic, um, it, we're just, from the etymology of the word, we're just talking about claims about knowledge, claims of knowledge. So, uh, this, uh, this leads us to 
um, distinctions between positive belief and lack of belief and believing the opposite of something. So a lot of th uh, something that people get hung up on a lot is when I say I don't believe in any gods, they may say, okay, so you believe that no gods exist. Hmm. That may be true, depending <laughs> on your definition of God. Right, but it's not what you said. But it's not what I said, and it's not what I meant either. Mm -hmm. So it is p perfectly possible to not believe something without believing the opposite of that thing. Does that make sense mm -hmm. yep. to you? Mm -hmm. I'll, uh, to anyone who, who doesn't quite follow what I'm saying, I'll illustrate with one of my favorite examples. <laughs> I will ask, do you believe, Ian... Mm that I had cereal for breakfast this morning. Yes. You do believe that. If I you do. told me you had cereal, okay. I would believe you. I'm not telling you anything <laughs> about it. Okay. Right. Ashlyn, do That's you mean. believe that I had bre uh, cereal for breakfast? No, because I think you usually have, like, coffee and English muffin or something. <laughs> we discussed this last time. To go with oh. your damn English heritage. <laughs> so, Ian believes that I did. Mm -hmm. Ashlyn, do you believe that I didn't have cereal no. for breakfast? No. I don't have that much confidence. Right. So so saying, no, I don't believe you did, doesn't mean Ashlyn believes I had something else, necessarily. It just means she doesn't believe that I did have cereal. Mm -hmm. I might have had something else. She admits that I might have had cereal. Who knows? Um, but you don't have to believe the opposite. It's like if I ask somebody, do you uh, believe that I have exactly 25 cents in my pocket? Well, no, I don't have that belief. But I don't also believe that you don't have twenty five cents in your pocket. You know, <laughs> it's sort of a it's sort of a because I've I've tried to explain this to people and I've even got it wrong. It's a fine distinction, but a confusing distinction. I think. Yeah, that I don't <laughs> right. think a lot of people really can sink their teeth into because it, it is sort of semantic. It's sort of a a word thing, but then it's also it's not because it is very clear. It's hard to yeah. Well, it's like, do you believe that your neighbors four doors down are currently having supper? You know, like, who knows? Maybe. That's not where I ended that <laughs> <No>. sentence. <laughs> you had a long, like, sound of like, yeah. <laughs> supper was just not the word I was expecting. That's all right. All. You know, so They're having supper? Right. <laughs> anyway. so, so you can not believe things without believing that those things are false. Sure. Right. Right. So, uh, when I say skeptic, when I describe myself, that's a shorthand for a scientific skeptic, which is itself a shorthand for a much longer explanation of what that means. Because that's how we use labels. Uh, not everybody's going to understand it that way. And, you know, you do the best you can. When I say atheist, I, I like this definition of atheist that I've laid out, which is a more modern construction. Um, and I use atheist as a shorthand for agnostic atheist, you know, I don't believe in any gods, and depending on how you define God, I might actually believe that God doesn't exist, but, mm. you know, it depends. Um, but these words obviously have baggage associated with them. They can become tainted, you know, what atheist means on the internet right now is probably not the same thing as it meant five years ago in terms of how the community is perceived mm -hmm. at large sure. and um, is, again, very different from how it would have been perceived 30 years ago. Words also shift in their original meaning. As I talked about, atheist originally had to do with not worshipping the right gods. No and, Right. Um, <laughs> and now it 
is very specifically not believing in any gods or believing that those gods don't exist, depending on who you ask. And there is really no way to solve that problem aside from just when somebody doesn't understand what you mean, explain it in detail. And they can say, well, that's not the right definition. <laughs> and then they're demonstrating that they're being a linguistic prescriptivist, which is indefensible. <laughs> you know, there's just, you know, language describes usage. It doesn't, doesn't, you know, there isn't a right definition of any word because that's not how language works. Yeah. And you can't just freeze language at a certain time and say, nope, this is the right way to do it. Well, that's Unfortunately, what I a lot of people are encountering sometimes. right now, getting into debates about racism. And, you know, people going, well, you know, there's totally racism against white people because dictionary definition. And, right. Uh, Everybody's grade <laughs> four speech started with, the Webster's definition of X uh -huh. is... <laughs> oh, Webster's. <laughs> that's what we all had in grade four. I had Oxford. Well, Lottie frickin' die! <laughs> Did you go to Rosen Village School? No, we couldn't afford an Oxford. <laughs> I had Joe's Dictionary. And... Spelled with a K. Yeah, man. <laughs> I, I grew up in small town Saskatchewan. We had neither of those fancy pants name brand dictionaries. Right. <laughs> so all of these definitions do have baggage. You know, people will see skeptics as cynics and naysayers, mm -hmm. debunkers, right? Even though that's not how we see ourselves necessarily. Uh, I hear atheists accuse agnostics of being intellectual cowards who simply won't admit that they that they are atheists. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Truth. I, uh, my wife's, uh, my mother-in-law, basically, uh, I finally told her after like eight years of, of dating her daughter that I was an atheist, and she said, oh, you're an atheist? You, okay, you got to at least give me agnostic. <laughs> it's a negotiation. It's, it's, yeah, wow. so it's, like it's one closer to her her way of thinking. Is like you got to yeah. give me that. Right. And a lot yes. of people see, see sure. agnostic as a in softer, the middle yeah. between theist and atheist. Whereas the definition that I presented earlier, which which is quite popular among like younger atheists. Mm -hmm. um, uh, gives it more nuance. It's like a different axis. How how certain you are, how, yeah. what your claim to knowledge is. So it's not people, just in the middle, right? And most people who are are you know, or I shouldn't say most, uh, most of the people I've met anyway who say they're agnostic. If you were to actually press them slightly further, they would say, you know, well, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't. There's no God. I don't believe in God. But they're almost afraid to go that far and say yeah. atheist because going back to this conversation about labels. Atheism has this sort of has this baggage, right? So if you say agnostic, it's sort of uh, oh, okay. Well, you know, they're not so bad. Even the word agnostic is a little softer sound than atheist. Atheist yeah. is a harder sounding word. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And everyone seems overly fond of accusing atheists of being dogmatically certain that God doesn't exist, or ultimately that they know God does exist, but they're mad at him, her, it, whatever. Uh, <laughs> yes. And and so that and a lot of you know a lot of atheists or a lot of agnostics would feel feel the same way. And so they call themselves agnostics because they are using a different definition of atheist. And by my definition of atheist, they, you know, fit the description. But by their definition of atheist, they don't. And so they don't use that label. And, you know, I we don't have to get into talking about identity policing, but, you know, that's fine to me. I, you know, I thought I that was care. the whole purpose of this show. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, so, that's in our, uh, our code of conduct. No identity policing in the Winnipeg Skeptics. You remember a year and a half ago when Brian Pallister, uh, the... 
that provincial conservative leader made his infidel atheist yes. yep. 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 He uh He said, just to recap, I want to wish everyone a really, really Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. All the holidays. Uh, all you infidel atheists out there, I want to wish you the very best also. I don't know what you celebrate during the holiday season. I myself celebrate the birth of Christ. <laughs> but it's your choice, and I respect your choice. If you want to celebrate nothing and just get together with friends, that's good too. All but the you best. must get together with friends. Yeah. <laughs> no sitting alone yeah. at home in your pajamas, eating Chinese food, and drinking boxed wine. <laughs> or getting together with your enemies. You know, <laughs> that's a fun time when you have right. a round, that, round table talk with your enemies. Isn't that traditional Christmas and in-laws? <laughs> yes. oh. Oh. This is why they don't let us podcast together. <laughs> yeah, because right. yeah. we're the peanut gal. Anyway, I think Jem's segment is almost over. Oh my god, Jem, my computer is going to die, and I need it so that I can do my segment. So you need to get, wrap this up. Okay, so you have killed the battery in my computer, sir. <laughs> Uh, you, you, uh, just to, just to cap it all off, we've all heard about how, uh, non-religion is increasing as, you know, generations, um, uh, are changing over and the demographics are shifting. And we've heard about the rise of the nuns, but very little research has actually been done about how these people identify. We know a mm -hmm. lot of these non-religious people, you know, they're not atheists. Uh, a lot of them... They're the necessarily. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of them consider themselves religious or spiritual or whatever. There hasn't been a lot of um, uh, study into how they self-identify. I found some research by Professor Luke Galen, who's one of the hosts of the excellent Reasonable Doubts podcast. And he actually took... Um, uh, he, he did a large survey of people who were involved with CFI, the Center for Inquiry, um, <laughs> in Canada and... Uh, the United States and abroad, primarily in the United States, um, about how they self-identify. And the results were, were, were kind of interesting. Now, obviously, the sample is of people who are involved in a secular community. Organization, so, yeah. so it is not going to be representative of all of the nuns. Um, it is the people who are most involved. But he did, he did two different sets of uh, questions about how you would self-identify. So he gave one which was inclusive. You could pick any number of um, uh, labels for yourself. And about 3% of people went with spiritual. 29% uh, went with agnostic. 63% went with humanist. And 77% went with atheist. So atheist was the winner. You know, most of the people identified themselves as atheists. Some as humanist as well. A lot as humanist. But when, when you ask people to uh, choose only one, a lot of them jettisoned the agnostic label and the humanist label. The humanist label actually lost the most ground. So 57% of people still chose atheist as their primary label. 24% chose humanist. 10% chose agnostic. And only 2% chose spiritual. So atheist is still by far the most popular label in the secular communities, at least in this in this sample. Right. I think, but I think that is, you know, an extremely biased sample, though. Yeah. People who are involved with CFI, I think a lot more of them would identify as atheists than if you asked everybody who responds as none on the Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. And I'm I know sure. you qualified that. I just yeah. want to... Can we just say that the nuns are out of the habit? Mm -hmm. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's move on. <laughs> um, what an excellent segue. <laughs> One of the biggest ways that labels actually affect people is when we use them in ways that seem innocuous but actually have really big consequences down the road. Uh, and one of those words has been getting a lot of attention lately, as Laura can tell us. 
Yes. So there is a campaign going on right now. It's founded by uh, Cheryl Sandberg, the CEO of Facebook. She's the author of the book Lean In, and it's called the Ban Bossy Campaign. So the idea is that um, the word bossy is used in very specific contexts most of the time. For instance, girls tend to get the word bossy a lot more than boys get the word bossy. Um, it's used early for girls as well, and it tends to be used for girls when they are speaking up, when they are trying to lead, when they are trying to break out of the mold, do do anything kind of outside of what is expected of a girl. When they're acting like boys? When they're acting like boys, really for anything, right. So, and, and this is the issue here. Most, um, most often, if you have two children, a boy and a girl, beside each other doing the same actions, the girl will be labeled bossy while the boy may be labeled with leadership potential, or he's assertive, or maybe he's just, um, you know, strong-willed or something like that, but, um, but the girl won't get that same, mm -hmm. that same thing. So the Ban Bossy campaign is talking about uh, a commitment that people make it's, um, to remove the word bossy from their vocabulary, in a nutshell. Makes sense. So... It is about the word bossy, but it's not actually about the word bossy. The word right. bossy in this context really just is a, is a placeholder for everything that we do to sort of put little girls in their place. It's a symptom. It is a symptom. And, you know, there's lots of people who have maybe never been called bossy ever, but they've still had maybe other words used or just other actions in the place of the word bossy. I've been called a nag. Does that count? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. You know, a nag or, um, yeah, all, all sorts of things like that. Other or, you know, <laughs> oh, are you on your period or something like that? Like, must be that time of the month because you have emotions. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, for, for women, um, for little girls, it tends to be bossy. For women, it tends to be, can I say it? Yeah. Bitch. <laughs> I wasn't sure what our rating was. So, um, so, you know, it, it's just a different word for the same type of thing because the women who are called bitches tend to be in higher power roles. They're leaders. They are prominent in society. Being in total control, honey. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. That's good. That's good. So that's the Ban Bossy campaign. And this campaign in itself has a, a fun little website, banbossy.com, and it has some really interesting leadership tips for, um, uh, uh, tip sheets, sorry, for girls themselves that you can actually give to a school-aged girl. Um, it also has, uh, tip sheets for parents and teachers and managers and, you know, extracurricular tr group leaders and things like that. So all different ways that people can encourage their, the girls to not worry about being bossy and to be assertive in life and to be creative and to do all of these things. Because the problem here is that when kids get labeled with things early on, those labels stick, right? They stick and they show that and long term, we know that it, it has effects on people. So there's some, some really good things here. Um, like I said, this campaign is really not about the word bossy itself. It's about what it represents. Now, unfortunately, there's some pretty bad criticism out here. <laughs> like one, one article. Really poorly written article that I found. So terrible. I can't believe it. 
Um, it was it was this terrible article, but it was published in the Huffington Post, and this article criticizing the ban bossy campaign. the The thrust of the article is that banning the word bossy isn't going to help anything, and and they really just completely missed the point. One hundred percent. So they read the title. They read the title, and they start off with. Synonyms for bossy include well, when the dictionary, dictionary defines bossy as literal first words. <laughs> you no, know, it's like that meme that's going around that, uh, you know, I didn't read the article, but let me tell you what I think about the headline. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so they go on to say, well, these are synonyms for bossy, and so those aren't leadership qualities. And they go on to list leadership qualities. It's like, but that's, well, the, yeah, that's fine. Nobody wants somebody who's high-handed, officious, dictational, overbearing, and abrasive. Of course dictatorial. not. Sorry. <laughs> dictatorial. This says dictational. I was just reading <laughs> Oh, this is worse. It's not a good article. Sorry. Okay. So stop being dictatorial. It says dictational. <laughs> exactly. And what it consistently misses as well is the fact that even if that even if somebody is using the word bossy appropriately it is mm. a problem that it gets applied more consistently to one group yeah. than another group you hardly ever see a little boy get called bossy exactly it's always little girls exactly and then too the fact that it gets used more and more and more especially in one group means that certain behaviors are then classified as high-handed and officious and overbearing if it comes from this one group so a girl who interrupts a boy is bossy or something or a girl who says says to the group i want you to go do this and you to go do that she's bossy but a boy who doesn't does it doesn't have that same kind of feeling because for boys oh well you have to be you know far more in this way or that way to earn the term bossy yeah it reminds me actually given all of the news that's happening right now about the way the term thug is applied mm -hmm. and it is not applied equally across Background. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> well, and it, what this campaign reminded me of was uh, a little girl that I had in one of my classes last year, and it was like a second grade classroom, and this little girl was a terror, like, don't get me wrong, um, and she would, like, grab all of the materials and be like, I'm doing this project by myself, and, you know, you guys can watch or whatever, but I... Uh, I snapped at her at one point, and I just said, you need to stop being so bossy. And then I was just horrified at myself. I was like, no, you cannot. <laughs> you know, I know that, you know, she needs to share better, but that's not the way that I should have presented it. Yeah. And so it's always a learning curve. <laughs> You've ruined the next little Ashlyn. Yeah. Right, Destroyed I mean, her for life. Everybody's gonna, as much as we want to think in this more... <clears throat> choose my words carefully here. Uh, we're all, basically what I'm saying is that we're all going to fail at, mm -hmm. at this, you know, as yep. we're trying to change these perceptions um, as quickly and efficiently as possible, but it's going to take time for all of us to, to, to get into this mindset. And of course, we're going to, we're going to make mistakes and we're going to say those things that we shouldn't be saying. And, you know, it's like, uh, it, you know, it's like the R word when describing something. Um, you know, at one point, even when we were all probably younger, it was used, oh, you're yeah. so, you know, this movie was... You know, whatever. Now, of course, that we've we've recognized that that's not cool, and we're moving away from it. And very few people use it now, so it's it's. And you're going to slip up. You're going to call it. You know, you're going to use that word when you're not supposed to. But it's going to 
eventually we're going to hopefully get to a point where, where no one uses that word. But you're human. You apologize. Yeah. And you move on. Mm -hmm. and, exactly. and it's important to recognize mm -hmm. that you make the mistake and not just get defensive about it. Because yeah. then you're not going to learn anything. You know, a lot of us get into this this mode where we're like, no, I'm a good person, so it was okay that I did it that one time because you don't know what I meant yeah. or whatever. You know, no, just you, you made a mistake. And it's okay to make mistakes. It's good to recognize you made a mistake. Absolutely. What I'm really working on right now with my own language is to try and get the words like crazy, insane, those sorts of things out of my vocabulary when I mean ridiculous and terrible. <laughs> I like absurd. Yeah, that's a good that's one. That's one of my go-tos. I'm going to say I'm, I was old enough so that the R word was on official signage. Like in the library on posters. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my grade school library. Well, and you, I think you do get into a bit of a euphemism treadmill effect too, where you know, like, so the the term the term idiot, you know, used to be like the appropriate term for this class of individuals who had some sort of developmental handicap or or what have mm. you, and you know, it, it is not. It became an insult, and so it's no longer the appropriate term. And I I think one of the things, and I'm not saying that. You know, we shouldn't avoid, you know, using offensive language. What I'm saying is, one of the problems that we're facing is that people want to insult each other. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. It's hard know, to find words that to word. replace crazy because it's used so ubiquitously. Right. Um, but, you know, if I want to call somebody an idiot or whatever, I, you know, I can't use this term because it's, it, that would be offensive. Well, you know, do I really need to be calling them an idiot? <laughs> You know, Sometimes just, yes. Well, yeah, like yeah. I'm I'm tr I'm trying to blame people a lot less to this. So. Uh, no, that's that's basically it. Unless we want to talk, I think we're going to talk more about kids being labeled and effects later on, and, and so on and so forth. So, sure. just bringing up the idea behind behind that campaign. And the idea behind that campaign is the important. Exactly. Yeah. Word, it could be any idea. other word, Absolutely. really. We could pick all sorts of things, yeah. but it's really the idea. Sure. So I wanted to sort of flip it around and talk about some of the good parts of labels and categories that we put ourselves in. Uh, one of the coolest things, I think, and I mean, we've talked about this before, about the internet and living in the future the way we do, uh, is how they're, if you look, they're pretty much a group of people who are interested in anything you can think of. And through the power of technology, uh, we have the benefit of being able to connect with like-minded people and share ideas and support. Uh, it's hard to do that, though, if we don't have a word to describe ourselves. Right. So if you're looking for a group of people who are interested and have the same sorts of interests and uh, desires and focuses that you have, if you don't know what that group of people calls themselves, it's hard to find them. Um, I was on TimeHop the other day, where it'll show you your statuses from the last year or two years or whatever, and uh, I found my status from five years ago, where I had just found out that there was a skeptical organization in Winnipeg. <laughs> <laughs> I had found it on Meetup. I saw that. That was great. Yeah. Um, I was really excited, um, but if I hadn't known the word skeptic, um, I don't know if I would have found the group on Meetup. Um, I had just started earlier that year downloading and listening to podcasts, and uh, The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, the only reason I downloaded that one was because it was under the science category. And it looked really popular, so I downloaded it and started listening to it. 
And I realized through listening to their show that I was a skeptic and it fit perfectly. Um, so that's the reason that I, I was able to find the Winnipeg Skeptics. And if I hadn't done that, like, would this show exist right now? I don't know. <laughs> so I've had similar moments uh, when I found other labels that apply to myself. So things like pansexual or uh, even like medical diagnosis that I've gotten that's you know, that feeling when, wow, like, I finally have a word for that thing that I've been feeling. Uh, and that can be really helpful and, like, cathartic yeah. for some people. Um, I'd say for a lot of people, you for know, sure. you, you get, it's almost like you're searching for something because just having a group of symptoms is not very helpful. And when you're trying you, to describe it, yeah. Exactly. And it just, it feels like you don't belong anywhere. But mm -hmm. if you can have a name, it kind of, it, for some people, it, I think it can give some closure to things, Absolutely. too. Yeah. Personally. There was. I'm gonna Sorry, ask never the mind. question in just okay. a second. <laughs> um, so, and like I said, once you have a name for the thing that you're feeling, you can find uh, a group of people who share those feelings, or have that diagnosis, or uh, you know, are into pants, <laughs> pansexuals. Um, but so I was just wondering, uh, do you guys have any? of those aha moments where you found a label that really fit you and it, and it really made you feel better because you had a name for it. Well, I was looking up the word because I can't remember it now. Is it vexillologist? Not quite. That's a flag enthusiast. Yes, oh, I did know that. Um, Love me some flags. flags. <laughs> I remember being really excited about 15 years ago. All the women in my mother's family, and this is probably sharing way too much, have these small red bumpy dots on our upper arms. And we're like, oh, it's just because we're Scottish. <laughs> we don't go out in the sun. And we found out what the name of this condition was, and we're all like, yes, this is what we have. And I can't remember it to save my life, and I was just Googling I it. I think I had that as a kid, and I had to have, like, a, I got a lotion for it. I didn't. It's just something we all have, and I think I still, yep. Yeah. See all those small red dots? You really can't see, listeners, but they're there. Yeah, no, that's totally what... I had that, too. All, I don't remember the name, but I totally had that. All the women in my mother's family have it. I think I still have a few. They're not red. But yeah. Anyway. And <laughs> I was excited, because I found out about it. And I'm sure I'll Google it while everybody else is going, and I'll just scream it out randomly. Makes sense. And the others? Mm. I can't think of one, unfortunately. I was... I mean, I, I was certainly happy to know, and I mentioned it on the podcast before, about... I, and as you said, sort of finding the skeptic community, because, I mean, where I grew up, there was no such thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I may have been the club of one uh, <laughs> growing up in rural... And I'm not kidding, like, rural Saskatchewan, man. I don't know of a single other person that I grew up with who was an admitted, you know... Well, I guess at the time it would have been atheist or whatever, but yeah. I can't think of a single other person who, who, who believed what I believed. Mm -hmm. So it was nice to move to Winnipeg and, and you know, meet people who were like-minded and, 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 you know get that group of skeptics under that one umbrella, which was pretty cool. Yeah, but other than that, no, not really. Keratosis pilaris. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> uh, skeptic is a good one for me, because uh, I was also an atheist, um, but I discovered skepticism, um, you know, because religion had never really made sense to me, but discovering skepticism was really interesting and important, and also made me a better thinker as well, because there was I still had a lot of nonsense, and I still do, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, a good ones, uh, I actually mentioned this, I think, on our show about determinism. Uh, I was a determinist from my early teens when I first sort of started thinking about why I think about certain things, you know, uh, sort of metacognition. 
And when I learned in university that, that the way I thought about the way I made decisions is called determinism, I'm like, oh, wow, that's, that's really interesting. And I dove into the literature and started learning more about it and being exposed to new ideas along that line. That's really interesting. And I do also have a label for um, uh, my abstention from alcohol. I'm a nephilist. Hmm. I, I, typically, anyway, I don't consume alcohol. And uh, there, there's a word for that. <laughs> I will use that from now on to describe you instead of what I have been using, which is teetotaler. Tea <laughs> Follower of Carrie Nation. Right. <laughs> what is the word? Nephilist. Nephilist? Somebody who engages... Yeah, N-E-P-H-A-L-I-S-T. Somebody who engages in Nephilism. That's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> abstention from abstention uh, from spiritus switch. liquor. <laughs> spiritus liquor. So yes. is beer still cool? No, I think I think they, <laughs> spirit is moving in beer. Yeah. Okay. Um, I will try to remember that, Gemma. It may yeah. not, but I'm that's try. fine. <laughs> no, nobody will know what you mean, so it doesn't matter, right? He's addicted to nephils. <laughs> nephils. Yeah. Any to come up for you, Laura? I really can't think of. Any, there's probably been a diagnosis or something at some point where it was like, ah, that's what that is. That's great. But like I said, right at the beginning, I really, now that I think about it, I don't use labels for myself. I'm not opposed to it. I just don't do it. And mm -hmm. I think that's a personal characteristic that I don't like. I don't like finality. I don't like things like that and I don't want to pigeonhole myself because what if there's other options so I I think I don't use labels because if I choose one then I might not be able to be that thing too you know it's <laughs> so you want to be you want to be, uh, be I think all I just the killed Lauren <laughs> sorry you want, so, you want to choose to be a woman and an elephant sure hey if I can be why not yeah, so I they look super happy. Let me just say, <laughs> I, yeah. So I don't think I have a, I don't think I have something. Or I guess too, on that topic, I'm thinking. Well, I, you know, I have a daughter, so I became a mom at one point. But I don't frequently say I'm a mom. I say my daughter. This I'll talk about her things like that. In appointments with my clients, I find that I say moms because I know the baggage that comes with it, and I know that I can relate to them better, yeah. but I don't like using that baggage. You can make that sort of instant rapport thing happen. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I know that I can use it that way, but I don't like using that because I don't, mm. when I read like mommy things or moms of kids with this or whatever, I, I don't feel that like I fit into that, and I don't want to encourage that mm. either because I know... Tons of different moms that are all different, and they shouldn't have to come with that baggage. Yeah. Does so. it feel manipulative when you use it? With mom? Yeah. Uh, I don't think so, because I know that I'm getting to a greater good. I know that they're going to feel better with me if I say, you know, we as moms, we know it's hard mm -hmm. to take time for ourselves or something like that. It's I, inclusive. I, it, yeah, it's really mm -hmm. just helping them feel like there's a reason, you know, you and I, we share something here. I'm not, not just... Me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, me to my patient. Yeah. We share something. I'm not the person telling you what to do. Now we have some common ground. I've been there yeah. sort of thing in that case. But yeah, for myself, I don't use a lot of labels. And I think part of the reason that I do use so many labels to apply to myself, and I, I like the... You know, I am a categorizer. I, I mm -hmm. like breaking mm -hmm. things up and, and categorizing them. Even when I was in uh, university and took uh, some archaeology classes, 
there's one exercise where you have to take all of this evidence that was uncovered and divide it up into however many ages you think it um, represents. And at the end of this exercise, our professor said, you know, there are the clumpers and then there are the dividers, you know, and I was on the far end of the divider. Like, if anything had, like, a gap, I was like, nope, that's a different age. <laughs> and I've always been like that. And part of the reason, um, like I was trying to get to in the beginning of this point, uh, that I have so many labels and I like using them is because I am somebody who really craves that community. I like being a part of communities and I like um, being a part of groups. And, and I, I think that this is something that comes up more often in people who have an evangelical Christian background where they like grew up in the church and I never did that either. So, you know, I feel like if I had grown up in the church, I probably would have become one of those like super, uh, intense believers who, mm -hmm. you know, goes to church on Wednesdays and is involved in the youth group or whatever. Uh, cause that's just the kind of person I am as I get involved in things. <laughs> that's, that's funny Good because thing. I, mm -hmm. like I am sort of the opposite in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. Like, I don't like... I'm not a, I'm not a big community person. <laughs> Especially yeah, after that, Donald Glover left. <laughs> you know, that's, that's true. That's well very, done! Well, it's mostly after Dan Harmon left, anyway. Uh -huh. <laughs> He's back, though. Yeah, he is back. And, the, I, you know, oh, I no, like... No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> so, like, I, I definitely get what you're saying. Uh... But there are actually, I kind of feel uh, trapped in almost the opposite way because there are lots of things about myself that I do consider to be core to who I am, mm -hmm. but that I have trouble describing concisely. Like, I work really hard not... Shocking, you have problems <laughs> describing things concisely. I'm trying not to laugh. Lauren's <laughs> trying to go the high road, and Ashley's just like... <laughs> What I'm saying is that there's I can't I haven't found a label yeah. to describe it, um, and and that because these things are hard to sum up in a simple label, I I I feel like it's harder to focus on these goals that I have mm -hmm. um, and these these core things that I that I find really important because they have to be described so nebulously. You know, like I work really hard not to take things personally. I think that that's very important for my personal growth when, you know, there's criticism or when I make a mistake. Like, it's really important to me not to take that personally, but I don't have a label for that characteristic. And so yeah. it's, I, it's harder for me to do that. I try to engage in discussions with others charitably and not assume they're idiots or they're automatically wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I try to remember how important it is to be kind to other people. Not just polite, but actually kind. You know, I, I strive to never be mean-spirited about other people. I think when the label you're looking for is decent person. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, and but I a understand. lot of people have different so... types of yeah. decent person. That, yeah. These are very specific things that I try to do, but because some, I don't have labels for them. And you need sentences can, for yeah, them instead I, of exactly. a word. And in some communities, you know, hating gay people and restricting rights for, you know, Bossy girls yeah. is considered being a decent person. Absolutely, yeah. In, you know, I would imagine. Now I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but I would imagine a lot of the sort of evangelical Christian communities. Oh, he's you know he doesn't like the gays, so he's a decent person. Mm. You know, so it, it, there you go. You can say decent person, but then that means different. It means things totally different things depending on the where context. you come from. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we're once again gonna do a one hundred and eighty degree flip, Woo! and. Uh, 
Lauren wants to talk about how sometimes labels can be damaging and limiting. Oh yeah, totally. Look, at the beginning of the show, I had some serious troubles coming up with labels for myself. And as you were saying, your labels went, oh yeah, I'm a feminist, I consider myself queer, I consider myself poly and pan and all that. And these aren't words that come to mind, because I don't know if I, like Laura, I'm not sure if I actually try to not label myself purposely, or if it's just something that's come about. So we've talked about all, Ashlyn's just talked about some the good things that labels can do. So we've got some less than good things. And like I was saying, that labels aren't outright bad, because that's reductive. And we had a whole segment about that, about <laughs> being reductive in an online discussion. Saying that sometimes it's easier and less positive to treat people, including including ourselves, as their labels and not as individuals who have these labels as part of their identity. Like you're saying, you came up with so many labels about yourself, but you can't just take one and say... Hi, I'm, I'm feminist Ashlyn. <laughs> well, maybe you can. I don't know. Depends on the, the people you're talking to. It's your superhero name. Yes, <laughs> I was the genderless superhero in a play I did once. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> I made my own costume. So, not surprisingly, most of the research that I was able to find on this labels are are bad came from the educational field, and I have a ton of sources, and we'll put them up in the show notes. I've got stacks of paper in front of me. I'm kicking it old school. They got laptops, and I got paper. So in the educational field, it's where we see most of the labels applied because they have to be more open about it. So as a student, it's hard not to notice that one or more kids, one or more kids in your class have either aids or modified work, which require an individual education program. I'm going to refer to that as an IEP. And they, they usually require a diagnosis or a label of some kind, and usually a heck of a long process to get there. I've seen parents and I've seen educators go through the entire process to get labels and to get these these things applied to their children just for the simple purpose of having a modified work modified work in their you know 30 other kids in the classroom so these labels stick and they shape educator expectations and they shape student interactions probably from the time you get your label until the time you're out of school and then by then it's so ingrained it just, yeah, say, like, hi, I'm Lauren, and I'm depressed. Hi, I'm John, and I'm autistic. And it's just something that we become. So let's take a look with uh, educator biases. We're starting with schools. It's what I had the longest point on here. So I'm using the term educator to include teachers, school administrators, and special education staff. Uh, basically, anyone involved in the education and training of the young person in question and they have each hopefully had the training required for educating students who are differently abled. Now, each and every person involved in the education of a student with an IEP or a label has most likely, or should have, read this individual education program plan and the diagnosis and the label. So everybody involved in the education of the student already has them coming to them with this dossier saying, this student is special in this way, here is the label that we have given to this student. Even Ashlyn, when you were doing your after-school programs, you had the, you didn't see the IEP, but you had the list of kids who were special needs, or so and so has his mom sitting with him yeah. during the class. Yeah, we always had a little note if, uh, and if there was like a diagnosis of ADHD, we were supposed to have somebody else in the classroom with them and stuff like that. So that's part of their IEP. Yep, part of their after-school programs for it. So as I was saying, educators get a bad rap 
and I'm not a contrib I'm not contributing to that with this. You know, <laughs> I couldn't do what they do. I could not sit in a classroom in front of 30 kids and go, this is what you need to learn, and I have to teach you all individually. I get antsy with teaching adults, and that's I've taught adults, and that's about where my levels go. So these are the professionals dedicated to our children, and they have to work within some majorly confining parameters. So everyone has their own personal biases. And so for this segment, I read some articles on education.com, and I'll link to them in the show notes, and they all included similar biases in their lists of both positive and negative uh, points to labels. The eight points I have here are from an excerpt of Characteristics of and Sorry. Strategies for Teaching Students with Mild Disabilities by M. Henley, R.S. Ramsey, R.F. Elgazoni, and this 2009 edition. This is, a, so I believe, something they put out fairly frequently. So, labels shape educator expectations for either good or ill. Educator expectations about student capability are directly related to student achievement. So whatever your, your teacher thinks that you're going to not get this concept because you're a little slow, I hate to use that. That actually reminds me of another thing that the NPR podcast did, that Invisibilia mm -hmm. podcast. They talked about um, if, uh, do you think if I, you know, gave you a, a mouse and told you it was a dumb mouse or a smart mouse, yes. whether that would impact your, the mouse's ability, like you know, how would that happen? And there was uh, a study done where they um, gave scientists mice to go through a maze and they told them they were these were either dumb mice or smart mice and the and they were exactly the same mice and um, how the scientists thought about them impacted how well they did and it was just like subtle things like how gently they were handled or whatever that totally impacted how they did in this test. And imagine that mouse was your kid. Yeah. <laughs> Or you, sense. as a poor little six-year-old. But I mean, it's yeah. just, like, I, and I can totally see how it applies to kids, but I, I, it amazed me that even, like, in a mouse that doesn't care what you think about it, mm -hmm. <laughs> that mm -hmm. it, it totally had that big an impact, too. Mice don't have psyches. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Well, they might run the planet transdimensionally. They might. Right. Yeah. So, again, that, that comes to it. Labels can exaggerate a student's actions in the eyes of an educator. Mm -hmm. And back with these mice, you're saying, oh, these dumb mice, they went the wrong way. But they went the wrong way at the same time as the smart mice. So it's the same with kids. If a kid has a label of ADHD and they act up in class, as all kids do, because they don't get enough physical exercise during class time, the teacher is going to be more... Well, generally, the teacher will be more strict with the kid with the label. And you also had your confirmation bias kicking yeah. in yeah. too, right? Yeah, that's you know, pretty much what that says. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This whole thing's about confirmation bias. <laughs> <laughs> so labels can send a message. So any learning problem is with the student. You don't get this concept because you're the R word. We don't use that term anymore, but... Yeah. Labels perpetuate the notion that labeled students are different. Labels can be confused with the student, and that's the one we're going to come back to this later. Laura, you had touched on this before. So labels are required for most students to receive more special education services. So as I've said, they have to go through this whole process before they can even get into the classroom or get into the classroom with enough help to, to join the other students. Uh, labels may be uh, unreliable or outgrown. In most of the educational world, it's much harder to get an IEP reinstated. So educators and pa parents may leave it in place just in case. So say you have a program for your student that started when they were six, by the time they're 12 or 13, they've outgrown it. But let's leave it in place just in case 
And these kids are still having to deal with these extra parameters, these extra barriers, these extra things that they have to do. And labels often put the blame on the parents and the student, as opposed to, is it not my fault that your son doesn't get this. He's bad at math or he's dyslexic. He can't, he can't learn. It's not my fault. It's not my teaching styles. I'm not saying that most teachers are like that. I, most educators but I know. But it does give a convenient out. Yeah. Oh, he can't learn that anyway. It's fine. So next is the student biases. And I'm sure we can all come up with the horror stories of, oh, a little so-and-so, you know, he's the autistic kid, blah, blah, blah. Let's go pick on him at school. He has to have an aide with him or, you know, let's poke the kid with anger issues. Let's poke him. And I mean, I was the weird kid growing up. I fully admit that. And again, that's something I'm going to get into with the self biases, because that's another thing that happens with the kids. You get called weird. It self perpetuates. This is what I was talking about earlier. The labels can be confused with the student. The student can start to perpetuate it. I was the weird kid. So I was the weirdest damn kid I could be. <laughs> Not the whole eating bugs or anything, but. Because you're vegan. <laughs> I wasn't vegan when I was five. <laughs> Maybe being vegan was because I was the weird kid. Ooh, I was different. I was a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. But in high school, there was a group of kids who called me Satan. And, yeah. And I perpetuated it. You You're know. Satan. <laughs> well, pretty much. I wow. saw the guy about five years ago when I went back to Thunder Bay, and I could hear him behind me in the, in the grocery store going, Satan. Satan. He obviously hasn't grown up. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But I perpetuated in high school wearing, like, long black coat with a red lining. I had sewn it myself <laughs> and being purposely weird. And it wasn't until later that I actually got an official diagnosis, but I was self-diagnosing myself, self-harming, doing all sorts of interesting and fun things to be the weird kid. And also, cause I didn't know what was wrong with me, but I decided to give myself this weird kid labels. So this label's confused with the person. I'm going back to that, and how do you use to describe a person? It's basically you give them these labels. Yeah. This is, like I said, this is the autistic kid, this is the ADHD kid, this is the kid that doesn't have... Mm -hmm. yeah. well, similar to you, I was bullied all throughout elementary school and high school, and, uh, you know, because I was weird and strange and different, and my mom blamed it on so many different things growing up. First it was because I was tall, and then it was because I was too sensitive, and then it was because I was heavier than the other kids or whatever. And uh, and she tried so hard to make me be normal, and I was just not going to happen. No. <laughs> normal is a label. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, it all sort of came to a head when I came out to her. And, uh... <laughs> and, um she kind of was just throwing everything at me and one of the things was, well you're just doing it because you've always wanted to be weird you know if there was uh, a purple puppy and a brown puppy you would choose the purple one because it's weird and no, I was just like but why wouldn't you pick the purple puppy <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> no dying your pets is wrong <laughs> but I mean that's just the kind Parents of person my mom understand. is you know she's always wanted to be me to be normal and that's just not yeah. who I am and that's some, outside of education as people grow up They've got these labels, or they get labels later, saying that they're, they're difficult to work with, or they might be the autistic kid that's grown up, and now he's no longer just, like, Brad living with autism. He's now autistic Brad. Hmm. Hair lip Steve. Or <laughs> any of these things. 
Like, yeah. Hair lip Steve. I, <laughs> what a guy, that hair lip Steve. You should grow a mustache or something. Sorry, it was a bad Family Guy quote. Um, I think of myself, now that I have some labels, I, I fall into the trap sometimes of going, well, I don't have to do that. I'm depressed. I don't have to do that. Like The reason I'm acting like this is because of my borderline personality disorder or any of these things. Deep confessions for a podcast, I know. But it's only recently that mental health has become, we're trying to have a more positive conversation about it, saying everybody has mental health and how's yours and saying it's not bad. But I was even reading today on CBC, there was an article about a gentleman living with schizophrenia and they were calling him the schizophrenic man. And normally they're pretty good about that. So, And it was very much a stigma of schizophrenia is bad. Yeah. And, and mental health, just like in education, mm-hmm. that's another place where a diagnosis is going to follow you through the healthcare system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course we know that people who have a diagnosis of mental health are probably more likely to be in the healthcare system a little bit more for a variety of reasons, but they tend to go, they, you, you tend to see both together. But once you have that diagnosis of mental health, it just sticks with you and it's going to be in every chart. But the thing is a lot of, just like a lot of other health issues, they resolve over time for a lot of people. You know, some people deal with them a long time. Sometimes for some people it comes and goes for other people. They had a time in their life where they were dealing with some poor mental health. Maybe they got a diagnosis at that point. They had the treatment necessarily. They worked through it. It's not an issue that affects them in any way, but that is going to be on Mm -hmm their health record as part of their health history and they are going to get treated as though they are currently sometimes in crisis which for most people they're not 50 yeah. percent of the population will have a mental health issue within their life and well, that's western society i remember when uh when i was the night manager at a uh, coffee shop um uh, right around the time that i graduated uh i it was disclosed to me when I was coming on that one of the people working my shift had schizophrenia. And I initially had a lot of trouble because I had no training to deal with, you know, really any anything related to management. Um, <laughs> I, I had a lot of uh, a lot of trouble sort of not uh, like not seeing him differently. But yeah. it was it was really quick that, you know, what I don't know how to rephrase this. Um, it was just interacting with him on a regular basis. I mean, he was like the nicest guy, and he was a quirky guy. But if if I hadn't known that he had this, that he was suffering from this condition, then you know, like I it would have just been another quirky guy. Mm-hmm. And so for for a brief period, it was hard for me to not see everything as a you know through that lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then very quickly, like it was just like, you know, like he. It's this guy, you know, I'm not going to mm-hmm. say his name, but, it, you know, it's the way that guy is, you know, just like Ian, you know, you're the way you are. And, you know, he's like, <laughs> God, I miss that guy. He's the sweetest guy ever. Yeah. Ian but has it, a diagnosis of Ian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're the Ianist. Shit. <laughs> At least now I can join all the other Ians. <laughs> I know, like, like, your community. Now that I have my label. I, I know, like, 15 Ians. Would you like an introduction? <laughs> yeah, we should start a Facebook group. Yeah. I had something else, and it got Ian. <laughs> uh, hey now it got labeled yeah good for the segment then? sure yeah. i actually just wanted to mention um well 
before we move on that labels we're, we're talking a lot about labels as they apply to people but you know labels obviously aren't just for people and one of the things that you mentioned that i just wanted to right at the top ashlyn that i just wanted to sort of circle back to quickly is uh the way I think it was when you were quoting people, the way we can use labels to wrap up related concepts or ideas into like a little package mm -hmm. that we can then reason about and talk about as a unit. Yep. So one example is in computing, we can talk about reduced instruction set architectures or complex instruction set architectures. And <laughs> there, there may be some debate about whether a specific computer qualifies as risk or not, but we can still meaningfully talk about the differences between members of those categories, the advantages and disadvantages of each, even if the edges of the categories are kind of fuzzy. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you can ask any game designer, like if you keyword part of a game, like an action that you take in a game or a specific attribute in a game, it will make it easier to understand. And, and once you understand the concept, having that quick shortcut to mm -hmm. talk about it, the word or label that defines that thing, it makes reasoning about the interactions a lot easier. It's a really useful for a lot of board games. Even uh, yeah. uh, reducing all of that text into a symbol, which, which is what a lot of board games will do. Like, this symbol means you get two wood, or whatever. Yeah. Is really helpful. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> labels are just one type of, like, um, indirection. Like, like, money as a concept is kind of like a label, right? It's, it's in the same category of things. Money represents an abstract concept of yeah. value. Well, it used to represent like a, an actual <laughs> amount of gold. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Don't get into gold standard. No. <laughs> yeah, like I said at the For outset of the podcast. show, you know, there are so, there's so many categories of things that we could talk about that have to do with labels, but can only get into so many. Yeah. <laughs> and since we've already been going for almost two hours, uh, we're going to cap off our show with uh, a fun segment from Ian. Uh, it's about wrestling that we have specifically included so that he can plug his super awesome upcoming play. Yay. <laughs> when, uh, when, I was, uh, <clears throat> when I was issued my talking points for this show, uh, I was told I get to talk about wrestling. <laughs> I was so happy. I was slightly confused as to how it fits in the overall theme, but I'm not going to argue. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm going to quickly digress. Uh, one thing we didn't, and as you said, there's a million label uh, examples that you could use, um, and we're, we've sort of been touching on things like inclusion and exclusion. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing we talk about is is like genres. Um, you know, obviously, I'm you know big into music. If you just saw that this album is rock and roll, it doesn't tell you yeah. a damn thing, or it tells you might be something like this, but then, of course, we have to break it down into all the other things, like Norwegian death metal, which, yes, just, which has a very specific <laughs> yeah. label to it that says, okay, if I, and I know that if this other band is Norwegian death metal, I'll probably like it, because I know I like... Death Clock? Death Clock, well. They have some Norwegian guys in that band, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, anyway. that reminds me of um, your post from the other day, uh, Jem. Yeah, because Jem's post from the other day, and uh, some posts that I've been seeing on Twitter about the sort of disdain that comes with certain literary genres, specifically like fantasy and sci-fi, Yeah, and uh, Jem's been reading an interesting book, oh, <laughs> and God, has yeah. realized why people have a certain disdain for some science fiction. Yeah, I, I finally understood. <laughs> Man, this was a bad book. But anyway, but the, the but the music thing can go both ways too, because like you, you also as an artist may not want to be lumped into a certain yeah. category, you know. Oh, we're not 
Norwegian death metal. We are, you know, post-apocalyptic pagan metal or yeah. whatever. And then you, then it gets into a and big then you schmoss. get Ingve Malmsteen. And then you get Malmsteen, who is, I would say, neoclassical shred. <laughs> <laughs> and I would... that's neither here nor there. So uh, I'm, I've been a lifelong wrestling fan since I can, as far back as I can remember. I love it. Um, I've mentioned on this podcast before that I have my own podcast about professional wrestling called Fall Away Slam Podcast, which if you'd like to hear more about all this stupid Russell talk, you can get your <laughs> fill of it, I assure you. We'll link it, link it in the show notes. Yes, we'll link it and there you go. Um, but I think what we're going to focus on is just the some of the terms that they use to differentiate one character from the next. I know um, these. You, I'm sure you do know these. Um, <laughs> and it's cool, actually, to kind of see, because uh, wrestling's really big in kind of four major areas, uh, North America, particularly, I mean, obviously it's big in the States, but Canada actually has a very strong wrestling uh, background. I mean, if you don't know who Bret Hart is, you're, you know, come on, come on now, come on. Um, but it's also very big in the UK. It's also very big in, I mean, it's big everywhere, but in the places where a lot of these wrestlers are actually sort of born and bred is the UK. Uh, Mexico is obviously very big for wrestling and Japan. (laughs) Um, and every, um, every place around the world has their own terms for these things. Uh, but we're going to focus mainly on the bad guys and the good guys. Uh, so in North America, primarily, the good guys are called baby faces um, because they're supposed to be representative of, of good, just sportsmanship. Clean shaven. And clean shaven. And, and that's how they were, yeah. uh, uh, you know, sort of in the old, I mean, where pro wrestling comes from. And I don't want to talk for two hours about pro wrestling, but where it comes from is really from the carnivals mm-hmm. is where a lot of pro, quote unquote, pro wrestling comes from or scripted wrestling or stuff like that is, 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 is largely based in, in, in carnival performances and stuff like that. So the bad guy would obviously represent the gruff, you know, uncouth, sort of dirty person, and, uh, and they are referred to as the heels. Um, now, I guess the he- to call someone a heel is kind of a, is, is an old-school term, not necessarily native to wrestling, I mm-hmm. would imagine, right? You could probably go no. back and say, ah, he's a heel. But um, so bad guys are called heels and good guys are called baby faces. Uh, in Mexico, uh, good guys are called technico because they're more technical and they're mm-hmm. they're flashy and they're athletic and stuff like that. And bad guys are called rudo, <laughs> which means well, does anybody speak Spanish? No. Um, it sort of means like rough and mm-hmm. and and gruff and and tough, sort of yeah. more salt of the earth. Um, I was trying to find what they're called in Japan. I don't think... It, the Japanese wrestling style is a little bit different, and they do still have good guys and bad guys, but it's not as defined. Uh, it's more about... It's more about who has more spirit. Mm. Um, and they, you'll see... You'll kind of see that, like, referred to in Godzilla movies and stuff about mm-hmm. fighting spirit. Yeah, so that's... It, so it's it's less important who's good and who's bad. It's more who has the, the more fighting spirit is the good guy. Yeah. <laughs> so he'll if, if he's you know getting beat up and he makes a triumphant comeback to beat the uh, to beat the bad guy, then he has more fighting spirit than the other. One of the uh, former Winnipeg skeptics, uh, Nathan Hatton, does a lot of research into like pre-war wrestling in Canada. Mm-hmm. So he's got some interesting papers that you can look up. Yeah, he's in. He's. Uh, do you remember what university he's at right now? Lakehead. Lakehead. He's in I think he's Thunder Bay. Bay anyway. Yeah, Thunder Bay. So he's, he's at Lakehead. He's teaching yeah. at Lakehead. Yeah, I knew it was on Ontario. I couldn't remember which one. <laughs> And finally, in the UK, uh, the the bad guys are called uh, villains, or heels is also used, uh, but villain is often used more, which is obviously self-explanatory. Uh, but uh, I like the, the term for the good guys is the blue eye. <laughs> Ooh. I so I don't know what that means exactly. It, maybe it has an Aryan sort of yeah. spin to it. Maybe? Uh, but, uh, <laughs> 
there's yeah, a possibility I mean, there's there. a possibility but it's not so much in it's more the the you know sort of uk proper i guess more of the sort of britain and whatnot um all this is just a way i mean again it's sort of how it relates to this is is that it gives the 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 viewer um sort of the ability to like what like kind of what jem was saying the to to easily understand quickly what this person represents and who they are they give them the label of of you know the heel or the baby face or whatever it allows them to 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 know exactly what's going on without having to have all that information explained to them like what i just did to all of you <laughs> but the audience isn't really given that information you know it's mostly you're, for the background you're right you're right it's uh, because wrestling is a very and always has been a you know, because it's it's sort of like magic. You don't want to reveal how the because obviously wrestling is predetermined. Nobody's nobody's implying that uh, it's it's a real athletic competition. So there's a, there's magic to it. Pro wrestling. There pro are wrestling. I'm wrestling sorry. Yes, there are there are wrestling competitions. Obviously, I'm talking there's, about pro wrestling. There's super athletic. Yeah, there's athletic to it. Yes. It's just not an athletic competition. That's correct. Yeah. And I could go into all my ramblings about wrestling, but I shall refrain. Um, what was I saying? Gone. Uh, gives the audience oh, about that the, information about yes about the heel and babyface because the because the wrestling is such a closed off uh, industry it ha- it has to kind of hide how they do its magic a little bit a lot of these phrases that have now leaked out uh, were once industry only terms and I'll give one more just for fun um, which is going to relate to what I what we really brought <laughs> why, why I'm talking about wrestling in the first place is the phrase uh, kayfabe uh, kayfabe is in the wrestling term or in the wrestling world, I should say, is a term that refers to the perpetuation that wrestling is real to the public. Mm. So, for example, if you are a wrestler and you're in a bar and some drunk challenges you to a fight because he knows you're a wrestler, uh, you have to accept that fight. This is in the old days, of course. You have to accept that fight, and more importantly, you have to win that fight <laughs> because you are perpetuating to the public that wrestling is real. Um, and to perpetuate that is called or keeping with kayfabe. Um, and it's, it's thought to have been derived from, um, the, the sort of a, a, a twist of the word fake in pig Latin. Mm. So it, it used to be ache, ache phage, sure. and it sort of morphed into this other word kayfabe. So that's something that you, if you're, if you're a wrestler and you're in the wrestling industry, you don't want to, you know, you kayfabe is something, it's a term that you talk about only with each other. It's a, it's a secret word that's mm-hmm. only in that industry. You can learn more about <laughs> all of these wrestling terms. By coming to see my friend show, Winnipeg friend show, I should say, because I don't know how far-reaching this podcast is. <laughs> oh, we have listeners in Australia. Not yeah. that many, but hey, but Australia doesn't exist. Uh, so <laughs> if you exist and you want to come see a really awesome, uh, and you want to take a plane ride to Winnipeg, it's going to be nice out. It's only like thirty-seven hours. Yeah, and probably thousands of dollars. But hey, uh, I have a friend show uh, this summer. Um, it's called um, "Of Blood and Ashes," and it's Ooh. about professional wrestling. I know, right? Uh, it's about professional wrestling, but it's more about the guys behind the scenes. It's, there's no wrestling in the show. It's 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 more about a show about wrestlers more than anything. And um, somebody is in the show. <laughs> I can't. What's that oh. guy's name? Jim. That's his name. Yeah. This guy across the table is actually starring in the show. He's the he's the main character, Jack Phoenix. I don't want to reveal any more about the plot, but Jim. <laughs> If you like the sound of his voice, you'll hear a lot of it. <laughs> he has many monologues. Uh, I do have many monologues. <laughs> Luckily, it's something that our listeners are well attuned to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you so can get gonna... through this podcast, you can get through this play. 
But this is free. <laughs> if, if you're good at talking, let's see how good you are at memorizing. Fringe shows are only like 10, 15 bucks. Yeah. And this, is, it, in total, it's about 50 minutes long as a Fringe show. Okay. I have to also just quickly shout out my writing partner and co-creator, Adam Johnstone. Him and I wrote the show together. Um, and uh, Mr. Jim Newman is starring in it. And the show is super fun. Like, I gotta say, like, wrestling is way over the top, it's melodramatic, it's great, this show, like, if you like wrestling, you'll like this show, but, like, there are lots, I'm really enjoying being in it, and it's fun. Well, thank you. I hope that, uh, I hope that people can enjoy it for, for not just for wrestling fans, but for anybody who just wants to see a story, um, and actually, we're gonna have a glossary, because we use a lot of wrestling jargon in the show, we actually have a glossary in the program. So if there's a word that you don't know that we're talking about, you can look it up in your program and see Thanks. what the hell we're talking about. So thank you for allowing me to plug both my wrestling fringe show, <laughs> playing at this year's Winnipeg uh, Fringe Festival, second week of July. You can, I'm sure we can link something to the <laughs> yeah to, to, to the show notes or whatever, so you can find oh. out when the, when the dates are. I'll put the schedule on there. And you can also check out uh, more wrestling talk from me. Mr. Dressup. That's right. At, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, me, Ian, at the Fall Away Slam podcast on iTunes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> we we have talked a lot about uh, about like the problems with labels and uh, the fact that uh, we use them and there's good and there's bad. But the thing with labels is that labels like we there are certain words that we call labels, and there are certain words that we don't call labels, but that are also labels. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can't avoid labels. Like they're imperfect and. Uh, you know, they mean different things to different people, but, like, e even if we forget about all the labels that are problematic or complicated, like, we have labels that we take for granted all the time that are just as complicated. Like, when somebody says, oh, I'm a doctor, like, that's a profession. We don't think about that as a problematic label to call somebody, but... Uh, what you imagine that they do for a living might be radically different to what they actually do, even if they are, in fact, the type of doctor that you assume that they are. You know, like... It, well, and with something like that, it goes even further than what you do for a living. When you say doctor, you assume, okay, probably pretty wealthy, lives in this kind of a neighborhood, drives this kind of a car, sure. goes mm -hmm. on a lot of vacations. Well-respected member well respected, of You know, maybe very... You're thinking somebody who seems very smart, maybe... Um, Maybe you think of somebody who works all night long and is exhausted, or maybe you think of somebody who sits in a posh office and doesn't seem to do very much, kind of whatever your experiences have <laughs> the, the, been, the right? The doctor, the, the most wonderful character on television, the doctor from the uh, first episode of the fourth season of Louie. <laughs> Remember with the Yes, I know. Uh, oh, so good. I don't, but I don't Speaking want to, I don't want to explain this. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Doctors so, do a so, lot more paperwork than you, that all they're doing is paperwork. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, and so, and that's something that you don't think of, right? So you have a very, I just thought it was good to yeah. note that. Uh, and, and even something's not a profession, like we were talking about father and mother, mm -hmm. like those are very important parts of a lot of people's identity, but what fatherhood and motherhood often mean goes far beyond like the simple biological interpretation. And, and it might vary a lot from people to people. Like, all of language is imperfect. Like, it's not just these labels that are problematic. For any word that you can think of, there are going to be shades of meaning that vary from person to person. And even things that you wouldn't normally object to being called, like, clever, 
it's still it comes with its own share of, of baggage and and Velociraptors. Yeah, I was going to make a clever girl reference, but then I'm like, sure, I shouldn't. Um, but she went there. <laughs> but you know, and that can put pressure on you or or whatever. And so basically, every descriptive word we use can be used as a label, and all of those things change over time. Yeah, and they're just so complicated. Like you can you can try to solve this problem by just using more words to explain what you mean. <laughs> no, but. <laughs> I'm trying, guys. <laughs> but, you know, the, the more words you use to explain it, the more bored and uninterested uh, people become. Communication is a hard problem. The end. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is as good a place as any. Uh, you've been listening to Life, the Universe, and Everything Else. And uh, thank you for joining me today, guys. This is good. Thank you. Thank Sasha. you. Yay. Yay, labels. Oh, I do want to tell our <laughs> listeners one more thing. <laughs> We, in September, are having a 100th episode. Yay! We've been doing this, you know, a fairly long time, actually. And if you like the show, we would love for you to not just leave us a review on iTunes. Jesus, please, come on. I don't, I don't want to beg. Um, but we would love, if you have any questions uh, that you want... Uh, to send us, you know, whether they're related to skepticism or humanism or not, uh, you know, whether you're, you know, you're just curious, you know, what type of hat Ian usually wears, or, you know, what type of Star Trek I am currently watching. Um, <laughs> Deep Space answer Nine. All. Yeah. <laughs> send us your questions. The weirder, the better for our 100th episode extravaganza. Yeah. You, uh, so you can email your questions to L-U-E-E podcast at WinnipegSkeptics.com. You can even, if you want, send us like an audio clip of you asking your question or giving us a comment or telling us why we're wrong or telling <laughs> us why you thought we were wrong, but it turns out we're right. Or telling us why you thought we were right, but it turns out we're wrong. Whatever. Uh, you can email those audio clips in from your smartphone or whatever, and you might even make it into the show. Who knows? We'll decide when we're editing it. Yeah. Mostly if your audio is decent, we'll put it in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tell us what your favorite episodes were. Um, whatever you want. We are interested in hearing from you, and we're going to make this a really fun 100th episode. So you've got a couple months left. We're going to talk about some other things in the next few months. But I just wanted to give everybody warning so I can start thinking. There will be party hats. There will be party hats. Yay. That's the type of hat that I wear. <laughs> yeah. So you don't oh, have to ask time. that question. It's, it's party answered. Yeah. Party hat. Thanks, listeners. Uh, look forward to hearing from you. Have a good night. Good night. Good night. You've been listening to Life, the Universe, and Everything Else. If you have any questions or comments, or you'd like to suggest a topic for the show, send us an email at l-u-e-e-podcast at winnipegskeptics.com. If you want to show your support, give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, follow us on Twitter or Facebook, or just share the show with a friend. Our music is produced by the very talented Ian James, who also edited this episode. <laughs>